text is found in the scripture reading this morning in Titus chapter 2 in verses 3 through 5. Returning from our study of the book of Genesis to this portion of scripture that addresses this, I believe, a wonderful text for this day that we're celebrating. The mothers of, have entitled the, the message, The Mothers of the Church, because there's more to motherhood than just birthing children. And in the context of the church, there, the Lord calls all of you women to be mothers to the rest of us. And I hope you see that as we study his word today. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of your gifts to us. How wise and benevolent you are in the design of the home to give us both mothers and fathers. That unique balance you and your wisdom and, and knowledge and omniscience knew exactly what we needed. And Lord, even in those places and times in your providence where one of those may be missing or because of death or other circumstances, you so graciously bring those in our lives that mother us or father us and help us in our examples. And we thank you that in the context of the church family that you have set up such a pattern that we can have these examples and patterns to help us as we live our lives and make right choices. I pray you'd bless all the dear women of our church. We thank you for their gifts and contributions to this church body. Where would we be without them? We thank you for, Lord, your way of doing things, the, the program, the plan that you've given to us in your word. Now bless the preaching of your word this morning. May it Bless each heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text here in Titus chapter 2, the Bible teaches us the aged women likewise, and this is not just women who are old as far as years, but those who are older, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things or patterns of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. First Timothy chapter 5 gives a kind of a parallel teaching where it instructs Timothy as a young minister not to rebuke the older men of the church, to be careful about that. That does not mean that... that Correction should not be made when it has to be made, but he says to treat them as you would your father, with that same respect and reverence. And all the younger men as your brothers, as you would your brothers, and the elder women as your mother, and the younger as sisters with all purity. We have this holy standard given to us for these relationships that we have here in the body of Christ, the church of Christ. One of the interesting things of the scripture is how the Lord and the gospel of Jesus Christ exalts the place of women. As we read through the scriptures, we can't help but note how the Holy Spirit points out the, the, the honor women have, the position that God has created for them, the, the godly virtues of those who were faithful to the Lord in his word. I was reading this morning that, that classic portion of scripture in Proverbs chapter 31, the, the different traits of a godly woman. So rare. They were rare in that day, and they're rare in this day. And so, so rare that the, 
the writer uses a, the, a precious stone, a gemstone. That day, a ruby was more expensive than any other of the gemstones. And still today, a, a ruby of high carats is often more, much more expensive than a diamond of the same size. The first book of the Bible re- recording the origin of all things teaches us that women like men were created in the image of God. We notice throughout the scriptures the prominent role that women play in the plan and purpose of God through the ages. Their, their important place, for example, in the earthly ministry of our Lord and their vital role in the early church. We, we read that it was a, a group of godly women of substance, of means, who supported the Lord in his ministry when he was here on earth. The, the commandments God gave, he, he requires both children to honor both their father and their mother. And that was given in a time when in, in most of the pagan cultures around the people of God who were set apart to be a pattern as always down through the ages of, of holiness and godliness in a time in, in pagan cultures where men owned their wives as a piece of property and treated them as, as, as such most often. The Bible gives us here the pattern for the home and for the church. We must never forget that. God has not left us without a pattern, without how do we live out this gospel, this grace that he works into our hearts and lives. Women are set apart for a special honor. Their husbands are to love their wives, the Bible tells us, sacrificially as Christ loved the church. He gave his body, his life for the church. And our Lord is the perfect picture and pattern of what that looks like, husbands. We have... We don't have to, we men are kind of hard-headed at times, but we don't have to wonder what that looks like. Our love for our wives looks like Christ dying on the cross at Calvary. That giving, that sacrificial. I would ask us, men today, does our, does our love for our wives measure up to that? Does it look like that on a daily basis? The, the scriptures I've mentioned paints for us a portrait of, of godly womanhood. And throughout the Bible, we note her honor, her exalted status. Only God could have designed a mother. And one of the things that grieves me so much in our society where these roles are being erased and destroyed and and society is trying to redefine what God himself so clearly defined is the loss of these precious and necessary things for the survival of humankind. Can we think of Moses without recalling Jochebed? I mean, she plays such a vital part of his life and ministry. Daring to go against the law to save her son's life. And the Lord using her to sustain him and to bless him. Can we think of John the Baptist without Elizabeth? Or Timothy without both his mother and his grandmother who are called into to the picture for us when we think of Timothy? And our Lord without thinking of Mary, the young girl whom the Lord God chose to bear the body of Jesus Christ. Women became prominent in the ministry of the early church. You see it from the very beginning. The Holy Spirit records for us in the upper room there among the the disciples and the later who would be called the apostles were were women also. There among the chief disciples praying and tarrying for the Holy Spirit to come. They were known for their godly deeds, for their hospitality, for their understanding of, of living out sound doctrine as the scripture calls for here and we, we see them laboring alongside the apostles, their giftedness and their faithfulness noted and applauded, 
Hardly a, one of Paul's letters does not mention women at the end of them. Phoebe and uh, Lydia <clears throat> and others, uh, Aquila and his wife Priscilla. He calls them by name. He appeals to two ladies who are at odds in, in the book of Philippians, Eodius and Syntyche. And he does not point so much to their being at odds as to their labor and their profitableness in the ministry. And it grieves him that this, this time of being at odds would hinder the work of the Lord that they too had come alongside him and labored. We see him singling them out in this beautiful way. His women were converted to Christianity out of paganism. And you remember that these things that we're reading today seem so normal to us because they've been part not only of our church life, but of our culture down through hundreds of years. But as Paul was writing these words, that women's, the place of women that we see today was very different in that time. They were freed <clears throat> from a host of demeaning practices as they left paganism and turned to Christianity. They left the debauchery often associated with pagan temples and theaters where they were systematically dishonored and devalued. And they rose to prominence in the, in the home and in the church where they were noted for their feminine virtues and for their hospitality and ministry to the poor and the sick and the itinerant ministers and, and missionaries and the apostles, their care and their nurture of their own families and for the loving labor of their own hands. We, we see that pointed out over and over again. Dorcas's labor and others whom the, the Bible records for us. When the emperor Constantine, and we're not here to exalt Constantine in any way, but just to note that when he made Christianity legal, when he was converted to Christianity in 312 A.D., until that time, you know that Christianity was looked at in a very lowly light and was persecuted and, and thought of as worse than, than a cult. But when, when Constantine made, gained legal status for Christianity in the Roman Empire, one of the visible changes immediately was the new legal status of women. For the first time in the history of the world, they could own property and had property rights. And, and marriage was seen as a legal partnership rather than a place of, of, of a slave. And the new laws made divorce more difficult and gave legal rights to women whose husbands were unfaithful. It has been said that wherever the gospel has spread, wherever its effects have gone, the, the social, the legal, and spiritual status of women has been elevated. John MacArthur writes, when the gospel has been eclipsed, whether by repression or false religion or secularism or humanistic philosophy or spiritual decay within the church, the status of women declines accordingly. For example, the feminist movement of our generation that, that is almost now a forgotten thing as far as the effects of, of feminism, but but most of us and many of us older folks know that that movement and, and are, have seen the results of that philosophy and attitude that we now see prevalent in our society today. We're now reaping the benefits of that, that doctrine and that, that philosophy has devalued and defamed femininity. Gender distinctions are usually downplayed and dismissed and despised or denied. And as a result, women are now being sent into situations uh, subjected to things that were, were reserved for men a generation or two ago, exposed to all kinds of indignities in the workplace and otherwise encouraged to act and talk as unregenerate men were a generation ago. Modern feminists scorn women who want a family and 
and, and the, for the household to be uh, their first priority. And I know that women, that it's often necessary for you to work. I was thinking of this morning. This is the first year of Mother's Day celebration that I've been without a mother here on earth. And my father made a bad business decision when I was just a little boy, about two and a half, three years old. And because of that, my mother went back into the workforce and, and, and had to work. It was of necessity. There was, there was no way to survive with five children and, and uh, his situation. Then immediately after that, he became an invalid, very sick, and, and mother had it all on her shoulders. And I, I thought of, of uh, you'll forgive me, her example uh, did you shoulder the responsibility that has been given to you? Your circumstance, you're not defined by your circumstances, but through the grace of God, that then becomes the platform from which you live life and preach the gospel and uh, work. And I remember uh, her making me do things that I would not have chosen to do, you know. I was thinking as a fifth-grade boy, I, I've shared with this with the students here, and I'm not, I'm always break out in a cold sweat when I tell about it, but I, I shot my BB gun, and, and it and it wounded a neighboring girl who was a nemesis of mine. If I was Dennis the Menace, she was Margaret. Do you get the picture? And um, so we were, we were target practicing, and uh, she came on the scene and said, you know, whatever she said, Chris Lamb, I'm going to tell your mother or something. And I probably said, well, go tell her. I'll go tell her. I'll tell your mother. And her, you know how your little fifth-grade boys do. And I said, I called her name. I said, if you come one more step closer, I'm going to shoot you. Now, children, please don't do this. I'm just sharing you what, what I did do, and it's, it was it's a very somewhat humorous now, but it's, it was a very traumatic part of my life then and even to this day. Uh, I, she kept on and said, you wouldn't dare do that. You know, you can see the little girl. You wouldn't dare do that. So I, I, my, my goal was to shoot the tin can near her feet, and I did. I hit the tin can. I didn't count on it ricocheting and hitting her front tooth, though. Oh, my world came crashing, crashing down to have shot. Why couldn't I have shot Michael Hutchison? He was there. He would never have been a problem me to shoot his tooth. Or Craig Taylor or any of the other guys, you know, all the guys were there. But this girl, it had to be her. I remember going home and telling, you had to tell, my mother had a beauty shop, so she already knew by the time I got there what had happened. She knew where I'd been, who I'd seen, whose tooth I'd shot out. It didn't matter. She knew and uh, I remember, you know, you know, coming in like the hangdog look, and I said, what are we going to do? She said, we? I didn't shoot your BB gun. You're going to march yourself right over to Miss So-and-So's house and tell her what you did and tell her you're going to pay for it. And, and, you know, and, all the, and I was just, my life just passed. But that was worse than the actual deed than to, to think about. But, boy, I grew up in that, that 15 minutes. And began to learn how to handle things that you did in life. You faced up to the things. I never would have my mother tried to help me get out of something. Well, she poured it on. <laughs> that woman was one of her customers. She would have to hear about it from now till Jesus comes back again. And, and so she just made me face up to it. One of the, the hardest, best lessons ever learned in my life. And, and for you men who ask me why I don't go deer hunting and all the rest, I put my... my <laughs> weapons aside long ago and have no desire since then to, to do that and I'm not condemning it I'm just telling you there's a reason I mean that's a very raw uh, nerve in my my heart and life as a result women are now because of the the philosophy and the the situations of today are very different modern women scorn 
uh, the, what the, the Bible teaches here, what we see before us here and given. It is an alarming and, and dangerous when we, as society, dismantle the, the foundations that God has given to us. The, the psalmist laments and says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And we see that happening, don't we? The Bible talks about the foolish woman who plucketh her house down with her own hands. And we see that around us. It's even more so when we see that that take place in the church, when we see women taking on the philosophies and the attitudes of the world and society instead of looking to the Scripture for these patterns that the Lord leaves us for the carrying out of his work here on earth. We find in Titus 2 admonitions and instructions for women if they are to to seize their, their place of influence in their homes and in their churches and in society. Titus was the pagan whom Paul led to Christ. He became one of the Apostle Paul's most beloved and loyal ministers and helpers. Crete was a difficult place to minister, to labor. The citizens were dishonest people. They were wild in their behavior. They lived in sensual abandon. The gospel must have been carried there by the Cretan Jews who were, Cretan Jews who were there on the day of Pentecost. We know there were a group of them there. Must have taken it back to Crete. And, and there Titus was ministering. And we learned that, that Titus was sent by Paul uh, and left there to deal with problems that had arisen in the church. Where there's a, two or three are gathered in the, in the Lord's name. He's there. And there's two or three problems as well. There are always problems to solve. And though the letter that Paul wrote to Titus while he was there is a brief one, it is a virtual manual of church order and ministry. This little book addresses all the roles and the issues of life and how the the ministry should be carried out. And having dealt with the doctrinal issues in chapter 1, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, turns to the practical issues, we might call them, in chapter 2, where we find these instructions, among other things, we're going to lift those that he gives to godly women as we commemorate this day that we call Mother's Day. Titus not only was to lead the Cretans from paganism and idolatry to a saving faith in Christ alone, that is a task that can only be equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit, but he must also teach them what to believe and how to restructure their lives now that they've been led out of the darkness of paganism and the habits and the mores and the practices of their society. He gives them a whole new way of life to be lived. I mean, this, this gospel addresses every area of life, not just the soul and not just heaven by and by, but how is that, that spiritual life that you now have been given by your being born into the family of God, how does that look on a day-to-day basis? And he starts in the home, the, the place where our gospel is most clearly seen or hidden. Now, those who sit around our, our, our kitchen table, and who watch our decisions and our, our words and the tone of our voice and our, how we respond to the roles and the circumstances that, that God has allowed in our lives. I mentioned, and forgive me for being so personal this morning, but I mentioned that issue of my, my, my father's bad business decision. And it was one that my mother begged him not to make. So that makes it worse, doesn't it? You're going to make a decision. And I was too young to remember the discussion but uh, to, to sell the farm and go into business, and in just a year, the, all of that was lost. And our life was absolutely dramatically changed. My mother had a, a newborn and children all the way up to a senior in high school. And so life was, was a very difficult circumstance. But I will have to say this. 
My, I never remember hearing my mother taunting my father for the decision he made or for her having to go back to work. She never, ever, knowing her role as the, uh, the wife and mother in, in submission, I never remember that being a point. I'm sure they had discussions about it, husband and wife discussions, as you can imagine. But I never remember us, and my brothers and sisters cannot either, remember mother going against him in front of us about our lives being so dramatically changed by probably looking back decisions you could have made differently. It was done. This is what the Lord had allowed for us. And uh, we were reminded that because of that decision, though, and our move from physical move once again, twice in, in a year's time, that we moved to a place where all of us came under the influence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God will get Joseph to Potiphar's house out of his own home if he has to, won't he? That kind of correlates with what we're studying in, in Genesis. Aren't you glad for the overwhelming sovereignty of God who, in the providence of God, as we've heard about this morning in Sunday school, that leads in spite of circumstances to bring us to where he wants us to be? Titus was to teach these women, saved out of paganism, to be sober, the first thing that he lists there. And literally, it does mean free from intoxicants. And it means, he also says, grave or serious-minded, temperate or right-minded, self-controlled. They were to be sound in the faith. They were to be characterized by charity or a sacrificial giving love and patience. Boy, we need a wagon load of that, don't we? Patience. Patience is an inner quality of spiritual maturity. That's why the Bible speaks so much about it. Let patience have her perfect work, her complete work, because patience is the way that we learn these spiritual lessons of spiritual growth. Patient in trials, patient in persecution, in difficult circumstances with difficult people sometimes. Then he turns that to the men, he discusses, then he turns to the women of the church and teaches that likewise their behavior should epitomize holiness. Do you get the point that God wants his people to be set apart? Because he tells that to both the men and to the women. You are to be set apart. You are to live your life different than the mainstream of the society that you're in. Not just to be different, because, but because grace elevates us to a level that, that people without Christ know not of. Unsaved people can be kind and they can be nice and polite and maybe even more so than, than regenerate people are at times, though that shouldn't be the case. But they do not know grace. Grace is that miraculous work that takes place in regeneration that equips us to live life in a different way under difficult circumstances, no, no matter what they may be. These pagans who had now become believers now have new resources to draw from as they parent, as their husbands, as their wives. They have grace. And we are to show that, that set-apartness with the grace of God in our daily uh, relationships and the circumstances of life. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. They live out their lives knowing I am set apart for the Lord. I'm the Lord's. Do you realize, and Paul uses this same appeal to the Romans in Romans chapter 12, I beg you, believers who've been experienced grace, to give your bodies to the Lord Jesus Christ and live out 
this redemption in these bodies that are still left here, un, the body unregenerate. We have a situation here, don't we? Unregenerate body, a regenerate soul, and in that format, God in his wisdom has left us, left us here to live out the gospel. We don't stop getting cancer because we're Christians. You see, we still have an unregenerate body marked by the effects of sin. We're not exempted from the things that happen to other people's bodies because we know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. But in that frail, flawed, depraved body, these earthen vessels, these clay pots, I needed some clay pots, and so I went to Dollar Tree, and they had clay pots. Great. They only had four. You know how it is. You won't, and I wanted to, so I, I didn't know. Do you know you can order online? The Dollar Tree, I went online, but you have to order 24, not just four, okay? I didn't need 24, but I think all the Mother's Day Sunday school teachers had ordered, gotten all the clay pots. And so when I called the Dollar Tree online, they said, well, you're, well, you better be glad you called today. We only have 100 for the whole nation. Whoever answered the phone, they taught her to, to sell good because it was like if I didn't buy one of those 100 boxes, they'd all be gone. And I, not to think, well, do you need 24? So well, you know me. I got me 24 clay pots. <laughs> Kathy, when I told her, she said, I see you've ordered 24 clay pots from, <laughs> from Dollar Tree. I said, yeah, you know, yeah, I did. What, what of it? <laughs> you know, that, 24 clay pots. Okay. It's, that's new. That's great. I just, and I said, well, they're going to ship them to over here to, to the Green Springs store, and I get to go and get them. And um, So I did the other day. I went over there and got my 24 clay pots for, for all the things I'm going to grow, I guess, that's by faith. And do you know that, so yesterday I was unpacking that, that box, and she, she would have to be there when I was unpacking <laughs> the clay pots. And uh, here's a broken one. <laughs> There's another broken one. You had to order 24 to get four that weren't broken. <laughs> Clay pots. They're not very precious, are they? They're very plain, very fragile, can be chipped, very useful, very picture that the scripture gives us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, just clay pots that can be marred and broken that is the format that we live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he doesn't just say, do this and live as the law commands, and neither gives me feet nor hands. A blessed news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. Grace enables you and me to do what we could not do without that amazing supernatural gift of the Lord. The women, the mothers of the church, and I'm speaking to all of you, whether you've ever had a child or not, you are all women, patterns, mothers of the church, and all of you because of that are to mother the rest of us. Isn't that how God in his wisdom, amazing how he's worked it out? I will tell you that when my mother had to go to work and uh, the Lord sent not only her wonderful influence, but other godly ladies who came along and, and, and helped in so many different ways. And all of you have a testimony that not only your mother, but other women who came along as patterns of good works, who showed you what it was like to live for the Lord. Now, he tells us that these women are to be sincere. 
there in the aged women there to be and the behaviors becometh holiness, not false accusers. That word there is diabolos, and it comes that we get the word devil from it, and it describes him in his slandering capacity. Now, ladies, I didn't write this. I'm just telling you what the Holy Spirit recorded, that, that you are not to be slanderers. It refers, once it refers to the traitor Judas. Slander is the work of the devil, isn't it? The word implies a verbal assault. Nothing is more destructive in the harmony of a local church or in the home than, than older women hurling slanderous remarks against various people in their fellowship. And Paul warns against it. You're not to be that way. You're not to be slanderous. We are to be careful in our speech, all of us, and in, your, in your, the way we use and phrase and say things. Ladies, your children and our children are always listening, aren't they? And verbal damage is almost never rebuilt. The Bible tells us that in the, that pattern in Proverbs 31, one of the most vivid pictures there, not her tapestry making and business and all those things that we could marvel at, but the one thing that stands out in my mind, when I read through the, the, the characteristics of a virtuous woman, it says this, that the law of kindness is in her mouth. Her mouth is ruled by the law of kindness, her words. What, a, what an amazing thing that the Scripture teaches. As we look down here, we see that word sober or self-controlled. They're to, to teach the younger women to be devoted. Obviously, this must be taught because it doesn't just come with saying, I do at an altar or getting an engagement ring or having children either. He says to teach them to love their husbands. To teach them to love their children. And this is something far more than an emotion at a wedding or reception or that wonderful euphoria of delivering a child and bringing a child in the world. There's something that has to be taught beyond that. And it is this, when the emotion is not there, and there's some days, I'm sure as a fifth grade boy, my mother wanted to pinch my head off when I came home with that news. But the emotion of love was beside the point, wasn't it? She had to be taught, I'm sure at that time, what do you do with a little boy who's just shot a girl's tooth out? Or what do you do when a husband decides, I'm going to go into business regardless of your advice and lose everything, and, and what do you do when, you, when that type of situation happens? And these, the reason I share that, because these are things that happen to all of us as human beings in marriage, to Christians, to people who are trying to do the right thing. The last thing my mother needed was that day, and I could give you a thousand other things like that, regrettably, that we have to be taught to love, don't we? To taught to respond to our children and our husbands. I love you. Three little words that can ease a couple through stormy seas. I is the subject. You is the object. And there is nothing between but love. That agape, sacrificing love. Love affects the look the tone of voice, and the touch of the hand. And Paul says to the younger women that young mothers should be taught to love their husbands and to love their children. It's much more than emotion or a Valentine's card or a wedding dress or a new baby. It's how do I do this on the worst possible day of the week when he's disappointed me or that child is not responding to me. I thought I would have a child and bring it to the world. They would just love and obey and nurture. We just have this wonderful, and sometimes that doesn't happen, does it? 
There's something beyond a naturally motherly loyalty and affection that's given here, although we'd all have to say there's, there's nothing quite like that. It's a scriptural love that, that takes into account that the baby, the child, the teenager is an immortal soul and will spend eternity somewhere. Or that that husband has been placed there at the appointment of God with all of his faults and failures, and I'm to love him. It's a holy determination to rear children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and not just to, to love you back and to, to have that warm relationship that you thought would be there that, that makes you feel cherished. It's a godly love that includes discipline and molding character. A French lieutenant officer asked George Washington's mother how she managed to rear such an outstanding son, and she replied, I taught him to obey. Aren't you glad she did? The women of the church are to be discreet, something this world knows nothing of anymore, with, especially with all the social media and ways of venting and saying and doing and showing discretion. What an old-fashioned, needed element in our day. Mothers and fathers can be foolish. Did you know that? And the word discreet there, it means to be sensible and discerning and self-controlled. We're to be discreet, ladies. The women, the mothers of the church, are to be chaste. That word means to be pure and immaculate, free from carnality. This world is seeking to mold us all like jello in a mold, to be exactly like it is, but you're to be chaste, something quite opposite than, than the, the, the Housewives of Atlanta or all those kind of shows show you, or the latest cover of Vogue is quite the opposite of this this quality that the Lord tells us should become women professing God in this chaste. Chastity has gone out of style, hasn't it? We live in a day where morality is relative and based on what is right for the individual. What is right for me is what is right. But Christians, Paul is reminding Titus, live by this standard in every age the gospel is not suited just for a particular time. It is, it is suited for every age till Jesus Christ comes back. The movie industry, the fashion empire has done away with modesty and, and chastity. It's laughed at and made to look ignorant or old fogey, but Paul tells the ladies to be chaste. Naomi was such a woman... She greatly influenced her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Ruth had been raised as a pagan, but she instructs her. And when, when, uh, when she goes to Boaz, do you know what? The only woman in the Bible that is called virtuous, and there are others who are, but the only one who is called that is Ruth. And Boaz, her near kinsman redeemer, says, All the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. Where did she get that? From her paganism? No, from her godly mother-in-law, Naomi. Happy is the young woman who will heed the godly older woman in the matter of modesty and morality and motherhood. We must hasten here. He mentions that the woman is to be the guardian of the home, the garter of the home. It's not just washing the pots and pans and making sure that there's fresh flowers on the table or whatever, but the, the, the mother in a, in a unique way oversees and watches out for dangers that might occur. That doesn't mean the father doesn't. But the mother is to be the guardian of the home. Our feminist culture makes light of this, don't they? Of, and many marriages are wrecked because of the pressure uh, to have things instead of relationships and status symbols instead of 
the holiness and the, the wonderful things that the scripture tells us are so treasured, so expensive, they cannot be bought at the mall. Older women are to teach the younger women to be good, verse 5. Goodness here has to, be, has to do with character, godly character. As we've mentioned, the law of kindness in her mouth, to be tender-hearted. We think of, of Jochebed, Moses' mother, and Aaron's and Miriam's mother, transformed the slave hut in which she lived in Goshen. It didn't matter what time, section of town they lived in. They lived in the ghettos. And yet that home was a, a kingdom of, of love and loyalty and of honoring the true God. Older women are to teach by example and word that, that younger women should be guided by their husbands. Another old-fashioned, out-of-date, unheard-of thing in our day. There in verse 5, to be discreet, chaste, keepers of home, obedient to their own husbands. And what is the reason for all of this? He, he summarizes it by this. Did you ever think, we might think of various ways to blaspheme, but this says that the word of God be not blasphemed. A horrible word. Can you think of a more horrible word in the scripture than blaspheme? In fact, we think of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, that horrible sin of, of, uh, of assigning the work of the Lord to, the, to the, the devil and of rejecting the work. We could go into that in more detail, but that word blasphemy. We, by not obeying the, the standards and the guidelines that God has given us, while we profess to be believers and we do not live by them, we actually blaspheme the pattern that God has given to us. Can you th- imagine being in danger of blaspheming the Word of God? None of you would just rip the Bible out page by page or draw right ugly words in it or treat it lightly. You have a respect for, for God's Word, but and that's, that's right and good, but living it out in our daily lives so that that, that no one could blame the gospel for how for the way we act at the workplace. You're a Christian and you steal, you embezzle, you take stuff from your desk that's not yours. You're a Christian. You talk about your... your uh, uh, a godly lady was telling me the other day that the women in her workplace, when they're mad at their husbands, they don't wear their wedding rings. You can always tell that's one of the things they do. Horrible things. The world lives by such a, a, a rotten standard, doesn't it? How could we as believers, and I just give that as an example, whether you wear a ring or not, that's not the point, but this attitude that I can take it or leave it, I'm my own person, I don't answer to anybody, some who even profess to know the Lord, it's blaspheming the Word of God. My example, my lack of, of putting myself under the authority of God's Word blasphemes the Word of God. Think about that. When God's Word speaks to an issue, whether it's spiritual or social or scientific or secular, the psalmist says, whatever you say about anything is right. It's best. It is what we would choose or believe or or live by if we, we had all the facts. And we're so dumb and ignorant, God says, this is it. Live this way. Live out the gospel before a frowning world who does not share what you hold dear. That the Word of God be not blasphemed. Clement of Alexandria said, The Christian must live as if all of life was a sacred assembly. That all is looking to us. That's pressure, isn't it? But far more than that, thou, God, seest me. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. It is interesting that the Christian life is is more about the daily round and common relationships than it is about preaching or Great works done by the Lord. 
Christianity is the mother and her children, a father and his wife, an employer and his employee. We see that throughout the New Testament. It's shown in relationships. Again, how this grace that's been given to us is lived out in relationships on a daily basis. There is, in fact, nowhere where a truly spiritual life can better be lived than within the home and nowhere where it will be more tested. I can preach and go home and and live a different way. I shouldn't, but I can be, and you'd never know the difference. But they're the eyes of my wife and my children, and now another generation who do see and who do know and who do take note of what is done not in this place. We need not bid for cloistered sale our neighbor and our work farewell nor strive to wind ourselves too high for sinful man beneath the sky. The trivial round, the common task, will furnish all we need to ask, room to deny ourselves, a road to bring us daily nearer God. The Lord saves us and leaves us in these clay pots and then puts us in families and in church relationships and tells us to make a living and work and live out this gospel on a daily basis, in those conditions, but we have resources to help us. The blessed Holy Spirit, His infallible Word, and then at the end of it all, we can cry out, Lord, help me. Help me be the mother I should be, the father I should be, the husband I should be, the pastor I should be, the worker I should be. Give me that grace, the grace of Calvary, to help me to live for you. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word, how perfect it is, how it answers every area of life, how it addresses us just now. We pray that you would lead us and guide us and help us today, Lord. Speak to our hearts. May we, Lord, live out this grace as you so freely lavished upon us as we approach your table just now. We pray that you would show us the glory of our Savior the awfulness of our sin. May we revel in your provision for us. We praise you in Jesus' precious and matchless name.